Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. But every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Well, that's it. The heat wave is over, lads. <laughs> I hope you got out yesterday. I hope you got to the beach and enjoyed it because it's raining today. We're getting reports of rain in Yall, rain in Skibbereen. Is it raining where you are? Let us know. 0818 96 96 96. We're looking out here at the city and it does look very cloudy, but I'm not sure if it's raining um, just yet in the city, but I'd say it's on its way. But um, I think that we are supposed to get some nice weather back. Um, so, you know, there's probably people who are delighted to have the rain back and others not so much especially if you're at home with your kids but I think tomorrow is meant to be nice as well it's meant to be back to 20 degrees which is um, I think a nice bearable kind of a heat uh, thank you for joining us here this morning on the Opinion Line Fiona in again for PJ for the next couple of weeks and if you would like to get in touch with us about anything you can do on the text 083 396 96 96 later on in the show I will be speaking to Cork singer Kean de Cro- he was our select Irish um, a, couple, a, a while back here on 96FM and now his song has featured in Love Island which is of course very exciting for him and uh, we will also be looking at the new Bus Connects plan for Cork which is supposed to be creating a more sustainable transport model for the city but of course it's not without its problems but first uh, if you're applying for a job and you're asked to do an unpaid trial shift how would you react? Well, Jackie, your house guest did one and you're not happy about it at all. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. So, Jackie, your house guest went into a restaurant. We're not saying the name of the restaurant, um, but she um, or they did a, a trial shift and they didn't get paid for it. Well, they uh, actually didn't do the shift. They were offered a trial shift um, right. and it was scheduled. Now, um, uh, I suppose at the time uh, she was offered the shift um, it, it, and, and it was put across as if it was a, a full shift. 
Um, I have since spoken to the business and they are saying that it was more part of the interview process for um, for the job. So um, what, can I just interrupt you there for a second? So sure. she went in to apply for a job. She did the usual process of handing in her CV, yes. telling them that she wanted, that she was looking for work. And they said to her, um, okay, well, you will come in and work in our restaurant and we won't pay you and we will see how you get on and then we'll go from there. Is that the thought? Exactly. You, you, um, if you want to come in to do a shift, give it, gave her the day um, that they wanted her to come in and said, but the shift will be unpaid. And then uh, from that day would see if she was suitable. Now, this young person had experience uh, and is training to be a chef. Mm. Now, I suppose we're in a time where the hospitality industry is screaming out, saying they can't get staff. Um, and, uh, you know, we're also in a cost of living crisis. Young people also have costs and, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure. Um, and to have a young person who has skills, who is keen to work, um, I, I was shocked. I was shocked that the practice of um, unpaid trials or uh, unpaid work experience is still a thing. Mm. Um, and so when I put it up uh, on Twitter, there was a massive reaction. Um, huge numbers of people, um, I, I suppose, sharing their experiences of their children going in, not just being offered free trials, but also doing, you know, a week of work experience unpaid um, or the first week of work um, regarded as training mm. and it being unpaid. And, you know, it, it's, it's exploitative, uh, you know, of the, the young person and as well as that. You know, in terms of their um, their rights uh, and the value um, of their work, mm. um, it's it's just very, very poor practice. Because I suppose we do hear of um, particularly people who are in transition year, and you know they they go into somewhere and they do, as you say, a week's work and they don't get paid for it. But it's all about you know building up your experience but in a number of these cases and in in your particular case with your house guest you say she was experienced already she did have experience so it wasn't that she needed to to gain experience by doing this shift No, no, I mean they have said that they um, always observe uh, um, you know the the potential employee Mm. um, within the workplace to see how they cope with the busy environment and but, I mean, look, it's a, it's a for-profit business. Anybody who works, um, you know, contributes to that profit. Mm. And I think a minimum, um, the minimum wage uh, per hour for anybody who's doing any kind of trial period, um, you know, should be at the very least what they pay. Um, and so, you know, if this, my concern here is if this is regular practice, it can be used to um to plug holes in the in the roster you know mm-hmm. and if, you know if if you take in four people a month eight people a month and and do a trial shifts well there you're covering a lot of your hours and uh, you know if if none of those people get taken on you know and it, it does seem to be the case that this is um this is happening you know that there's been reports of you know a cafe that every week uh, turns over uh, new potential employees now it's highly unlikely that none of them are suitable. Yeah. As well as that, we all know, with, uh, especially starting out in, in work, the more you get an induction, the more training that you get, the time that you put into employees, yeah. you know, that's um, how you end up getting somebody who's 
um, well experienced and uh, you know it pays off. And Jackie when you put the tweet up and you said that you got a huge reaction from people who were saying that you know similar things had happened to them did anybody in the hospitality sector reply and explain why they do this? Well there was a number of people who actually work in the sector and said that this was yes common practice um, and basically saying that this is going on since you know, since for the years dawn, and yeah, years, yeah, 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 yeah. Since time began, uh, and that it was, um, you know, yes, that there were uh, unscrupulous employers out there that did use it to plug holes in in the roster, uh, but others that they did use it as part of an interview process. That there would be no um, verbal interview as such. That the the interview would be a practical interview, mm. and that. The, but generally, when that happens, when it's part of the interview process, uh, the shift. Uh, really, or the trial period is usually between sixty minutes, ninety minutes, and at the most two hours. Yeah, um, and that that's enough time for them to bring them through, um, you know, the, uh, the the work and the kitchen and whatever, and then uh, see how they they can demonstrate their skills or how they cope with, um, you know, the pressures of working in a busy kitchen. Yeah, um, and and generally, like I mean, when it comes to uh, chefs. It seems to be obviously very common practice because they'd ask them to make a dish and, uh, you know, see them demonstrate their knife skills and their, their cooking skills or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it was defended by, you know, a number of people who still work in the industry saying it is necessary for, you know, to see how somebody cooks because you can't always tell on paper that it, it's the right person. I understand that. I understand that, you know, imagine if you hired somebody and they had said on their CV that, you know, they had all this experience, but then when they came into the kitchen, they were, <laughs> you know, not great. And um, that puts an awful lot of pressure then on everybody else around them. So you can understand them coming in and maybe demonstrating what they can do. But, uh, you know, try, doing an actual shift and not getting paid for it just seems, as you say, it's a bit exploitative, really. And, um, um, it's not really fair on people who have already built up their experience and who are going in looking for jobs and we're hearing about the hospitality sector and how, you know, short-staffed they are and and yet, you know, we're getting people who are going in ask, being asked to do shifts and uh, not getting paid for it. It's um, It just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. No, and, you know, starting out in work, um, you need to feel valued. You need to feel that your time and, you know, the work that you do um, has a value. Mm. And that's huge. That's a huge aspect of it as well. You know, I mean, this this person is 19 years old, um, you know, spending a lot of time training to be a chef, was looking for a job in the kitchen. And I wanted to ensure that, you know, that they felt uh, that their experience and it w- was being valued, and and that their work was being valued, mm. and there is a value to it because I mean there's a monetary value. If I go in and work anywhere for a number of hours, uh, whatever work I do, um, you know, does uh, ultimately pay into the pocket of the employer. Mm. Um, and I mean we've had uh, like on this thread the number of people that, you know, a woman shared an experience of her 16 year old who did a week's trial unpaid and then was asked to do the first week's training unpaid. Oh, for Two so. weeks from a 16-year-old. Now, yeah. that's a very, that's, that's outrageous. That's, a, you know, a really exploitative and a very poor um, a message given to a young person starting out in work. 
Mm. You know, and I mean, your tweet got 3,300 likes and 269 retweets. So it just goes to show that um, it is a, a massive, uh, you know, a massive interest to people. And it is something that's affecting a lot of people. And, you know, we're reminded that other sectors, it's not just the hospitality sector, that they ask people to do uh, shifts. Um, but, you know, during very busy periods, like in call centres or DJing, but they still pay the, the people who do the shift or two, even if it doesn't work out. So, you know, I suppose there are questions to be asked of the hospitality sector, why they feel that they can bring somebody in <clears throat> like like that uh, 16-year-old or the 19-year-old in your case and ask them to do a very busy shift in a very stressful environment and not get paid for it. I'll tell you, the hospitality industry, there was a lot of reports of the beauty industry, um, you know, operating this practice as well. Right. Uh, some people working for three days and obviously taking in money so knowing because their specific skill is you know one-on-one -on -one, knowing the amount of money that they earn for the employer and they're not being paid yeah. uh, and you know um, another problem is taking in being thrown in the deep end not being given an induction not being given training and then told listen you didn't work out now how has somebody supposed to flourish how are they supposed to um, you know, do the job to their best of their ability if they're not being given guidance. Mm. Um, so there's, uh, and, and there's been a huge uh, amount of anger from people uh, in response to the tweet, you know, yeah. really saying that this is unacceptable and it's exploitative, you know. Yeah. Jackie, thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line and raising this um, issue. I'm told that there is thunder and lightning and rain in Kinsale as well. So uh, I don't think people will be flocking to the beaches in Kinsale this morning. Let us know, is it raining where you are? 0818 96 96 96. Just with regards to the free trial periods, I was speaking to Jackie before the break and she was talking about how um, her 19-year-old guest list had gone into ask for a job in a restaurant and was told that uh, she could do a shift unpaid shift and then they'd see what way um, it worked out and Jackie believes that that's exploitative. Um, somebody else has been on to us to say I know of a lady who went for a job cleaning in a guest house. She cleaned for a number of hours and when she asked about pay was told there was another person coming later for a trial and it was between them two but there was no pay for the work already done. I don't know that just seems absolutely scandalous. Be asking people to come in, do a full shift, get the, the work done and not get paid for it. Let us know what you think. 083 396 96 96 is the text number. Now, Amelia saved up to buy a motorbike to travel to her job as a lifeguard at Gary Vaux Beach. But unfortunately, it was stolen from outside her home. But then it turned up last night. Uh, good morning, Amelia. Hello, good morning. How are you this morning? Uh, relieved that I've gotten the bike anyways. That's a start. And Amelia, you're with your mum, Gita. Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. So Amelia, um, how did it, How did you find the bike, first of all? Um, we were just posting it around the place and just sharing it with everyone. And um, Some people reached out to us and they said that they've seen a bike in a field and it looked exactly like my one. Yeah. So, like, I got the message as soon as I came home from work yesterday evening and I had to, like, get a lift from a friend. So I told them that we've spotted the bike and they were willing to drive down and help me get it. And we went there and it was my bike. So I was very relieved to find it. And you live in Douglas and the bike was found where? It was in Farinry, yeah. 
And was it, uh, it was tracked on a, a, a kind of a, a, a TikTok site, is it, for um, kind of joyriding, yeah. a joyriding TikTok I kind of a site? I saw that TikTok after it was a retreat. I got, I got home and I saw that TikTok. Someone had sent it to me. Yeah. And like you can see in the video, like they've deleted it now, but the video is of two boys just joyriding my bike around and just destroying her basically. And is the bike, like, is it, is it destroyed now? Uh, it's it pretty much destroyed it now. Is. The screen's broken. The uh, the ignition is gone. The back tire is completely flat. The front tire is slightly flat. Uh, the mirrors are gone. The box of the bike with my helmet and gloves is gone. And we think the engine's probably burnt as well with the clutch. Oh, my so God. I, I think it's, it's damaged more than Amelia thinks. Your Gita, yeah, you wanted to come in there. You think it's damaged more than Amelia's? I in. think it's, yeah, yeah. We were watching a video of his husband, and it looks like the engine will be gone because it, it looks like its purpose was to, to break it down. And your Gita, um, Amelia is 19 years old. She had was actually yeah. getting a job as a, a lifeguard at Gary Vaux Beach and had saved up her money to buy a motorbike. Uh, you know, when you hear, when you heard, first of all, that the bike was stolen, um, what did you think? First, I couldn't understand what she's saying because I wasn't at home that morning when she rang me crying that bike is gone and I couldn't understand what she's saying because she was shocked, panicked and then I looked at cameras and it was gone. So mixed feelings, sadness, anger, everything together probably and then actions, what actions need to be taken straight away because as soon as you realize that that happened, something needs to be done. So I'm the person who takes actions and um, act quickly. So I just told Amelia what she needs to do. And we started posting on social media straight away um, mm. that people would share. And apparently it helped. And, you know, Amelia obviously had saved up a lot of money to buy the motorbike. And now you have to try and get it fixed. Have you any idea of the cost of fixing it? Oh, I haven't a clue at all. It'll definitely be a bit, like, depending on the damages now, it'll probably be quite pricey. I'm hoping it's under a K anyways, but you honestly wouldn't no, know. I don't know what burnt so. the engine's probably completely destroyed and the clutch and all that. I, so I'm not sure if it's even repairable. But I thought... Amelia, Amelia is very optimistic. <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's a heartbreaking. She, she was working since she's 16 and she was saving money. Like, she honestly bought that's it, her own money. We didn't give a penny for her. Yeah. Um, but I'm driving car, you know, for 20 years now. I know how expensive can be, you know, parts and fixing it. And is it as badly as it looks? It probably will need to buy a new bike. And would the insurance cover it? Um, I um, only had third-party no. insurance because it's not fire and death because if I got fire and death, it would have cost more than the bike itself. Yeah. So I just decided that I was better off only getting third party and if something happened, like I'd just get myself a new bike because it was insane. The price of like comp- full co- full cover or just fire and theft was more than the bike itself. And Amelia, um, you know, you've been working since you were 16, which is amazing. You're obviously um, a very determined young woman and uh, <laughs> independent. You don't want to be living off your parents. And, you know, you've will you be able to get to work now? I'm currently just uh, using different lifeguards from different beaches that are just in the same direction. I'm asking them for lifts or just getting my friends to drive me around. Which is so inconvenient, really, isn't it's it? It's a bit inconvenient. I have to keep yeah. texting them, asking them if they're going to work today and if they are, if I can hop in. I have to make sure they're coming from the same direction as me because some of the lifeguards live near the coast. 
And Amelia, I know your mum, your Gita, has been saying there that you're um, a lot more optimistic than she is, but it must be so disheartening to know that all of your hard-earned money went towards buying this bike to get you to your job as a lifeguard in Garyvaux. And now somebody has stolen it and absolutely just drove it into the ground, like... Yeah, it was heartbreaking to see first thing in the morning. I, I looked out the window and I noticed it was gone. And it took me like a few minutes to realize that it was actually gone. And once I had finally like registered it, I was heartbroken because I've been working hard for it and I paid everything off full. And I had only just gotten it serviced there last week as well, which was a bit of a annoying because I just spent money on it once again. Oh my God, that's just shocking. And have so, you had anyone come out and have a look at it to see, you know, how what kind of repairs are needed, how much it's going to cost? I haven't had anyone look at it yet, only because we brought it back fairly late last night. We right. only got it back around 11, just because by the time we had found it, driving around looking through fields and getting a van down to collect it, because it's mm. not movable. Yeah. The front wheel is locked, we had to get a van, and we had, to get multiple, we had like five men like lifting the bike into the van as well, because it's heavy enough as well, you can't roll it as well. Yeah, what kind of a bike was it? It was a 250cc motorbike. It was, yeah. It's a Benelli 251S. Um, and had you always, um, was that your, your dream to get one of those bikes? I always wanted a Benelli. And then um, once I turned 19, I could have gone for a 250 engine. So mm-hmm. I went for that straight away because I was very determined to get it. And I did my theory straight away and I did everything for it straight away, try to get it as soon as possible. Once I had the money, I bought it straight away. And then so I've only had it like two months it's even and it was yeah she bought it at the end of May last month and you were delighted with yourself with your I was thrilled (laughs) (laughs) and if there's any mechanic out there who's listening who would like to maybe come come out and have a look at it for you and see you know um, what what kind of damage is done they could maybe give us a shout here on the opinion line on 0818 96 96 96 and see if we can help in any way Um, I'm assuming that you have contacted the guards and that there is an investigation so we wouldn't be able to say a huge amount about that but um, you know Amelia I know that uh, you're you're kind of uh, you're glad that you got the bike back, but um, I think your mum, your Gita, is probably a lot more angry than you are. Is that right, Definitely, your Gita? Yeah. <laughs> um, obsessed, probably because it's. I know how hard she was working. Mm. So, and I know that those kids did that, and I see full social media of videos and and understand the purpose why they do that. And um, I think everyone knows who are they. That's probably the saddest thing. Yeah. And um, they're young kids and they think that they can be punished. That's Mm -hmm. another part of it. So I suppose if anybody does have any information that can help with the guards, they could contact the Gardaí. Is it Anglesey Street um, or Gardaí and Douglas who are investigating this and uh, people can contact Douglas Garda Station if they have any information? You see, they don't hide their faces on TikTok. Mm. I was watching the videos and they're making jokes and they're showing their faces. So I think they're well known. Yeah, they just they just don't care. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Um, I'm glad in a way that you got the bike back. I'm very sorry that it came back in such a state and we really hope that you're able to get it sorted out and get fixed and continue on your uh, your work as a lifeguard. You're doing fantastic work there over in Gary Vaux and uh, we hope that you get sorted. And if anybody could uh, help out in any way, they can contact us here on the Opinion Line 0818 96 96 96. Amelia and your Gita, thank you for joining us on the Opinion Line today.
Uh, I'm being told um, that it's also raining in both Douglas and Carrigaline now, so I think it's just rain everywhere in Cork. A very different morning today than yesterday where we were talking about ways of cooling down. Now it's uh, rain all over Cork, which is um, disappointing to say the least. Um, but the new bus connects Cork. Um, it's supposed to be creating an improved sustainable transport system for the city, but it's not without its problems. And the first in a series of public information offence takes place today. It takes place from 2pm to 7pm in the Oriel House Hotel in Ballincollig um, and this is for the Ballincollig to City and Bishopstown to City part of the um, of the, the bus corridor um, there's another one in the Silver Springs Hotel on Monday the 25th of July and Tuesday the 26th of July and in Nemo Rangers on Wednesday the 27th of July and Thursday the 28th of July um, and actually in Oriel House um, Hotel in Ballincollig there's one tomorrow as well from 9am to 2pm um, but yeah it's uh, Councillor Dan Boyle from the Green Party good morning um, Councillor Boyle morning. you um, I'll start with you I'm also joined by Councillor Mary Rose Desmond good morning um, well, I'll start with Councillor Dan Boyle Dan um, with regards to this um, bus connects there are you know, as I said, it's supposed to be uh, creating a sustainable network for Cork, but it's not without its problems. Um, I think one of the main problems is the bridge going across Mangala Woods into Douglas. Um, it, what's the issue with that, Dan? Uh, well, uh, there, there are 12 bus corridors that are being proposed. We, we've already gone through a process where the routes uh, ha- have been uh, consulted about and have been suggested. So, uh, this is about how the road space or space in general is going to be used to allow buses get in the quickest possible way from A to B. Uh, and there are 12 corridors I've identified. The one uh, uh, th- through Douglas uh, on that side of the city, there's a proposal for a road bridge uh, or, or through the, the Mangala Woods, uh, not, not only for buses, but for cars. Uh, and uh, th- there is reaction to this. Uh, it's obviously, uh, it, it seems counterproductive. Uh, first of all, you're going through a woodland, you're getting rid of trees that are absorbing carbon, mm-hmm. and you're putting a lot of traffic in that's creating the carbon. So uh, I, I, I don't see it as a public transport initiative. I see that particular pro- as a roads proposal, and it, it, it doesn't fit with the rest of the picture. And what's the uh, idea of putting it through the woods? Why? Well, that it, 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 it's a line on the map. It gets things from A to B quicker, uh, and that's the philosophy behind all of the bus corridors. Uh, I, I don't know why they're talking about a bridge that's shared with cars and, and, and going through a woodland. It, it, it is very counterproductive. I see that there's a lot of public reaction to it, and rightly so. I, I think it's one of the routes that will get changed, uh, but I think we're talking about a wider process uh, and the meetings we've had as councillors with the NTA, they've been um, they've been interesting uh, and they've certainly been challenging because it, it's a huge project, 600 million will be spent on bus corridors at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh, and it involves making decisions that are not going to be universally popular, so it's, it's important that the process has got right and people feel they're given the proper information in the first sense and where and when they have concerns, the concerns are listened to and addressed. And I think that's where the concerns exist at the moment because we're only starting this process. And Dan, there's a lot of anger around uh, people's gardens that um, people might lose parts of their gardens with this. And I know that this is an issue or it has been an issue with other areas in the city before. But, um, you know, what's the story with this? Is it um, people in, in the Douglas area who are going to lose their gardens? 
Well, I think there's a few routes. Uh, the, the, the communications to date haven't helped because what they've done is they've they've talked about worst case scenarios about the number of properties that might be affected uh, when the whole process is about trying to ensure that uh, as few properties are affected as possible and that the impact on each of the properties is, is as small as possible. Uh, but I think they've created an impression that this is going to happen left, right and centre. How we use the space depends, first of all, on how wide the road is at the moment, whether it can hold existing, uh, put in new bus and cycle lanes, uh, whether we can uh, change traffic flows in some ways. That sometimes means one-way systems for for car vehicle or traffic. Uh, can we introduce concepts like bus gates, which are going to be controversial in their own rights. That's using the existing road space uh, and trying to get the traffic stopping on either side uh, to allow buses to go through at key times of the day. Uh, and the problem there is not so much the, the gates themselves, but can they be policed properly? Mm. Because uh, Patrick Street, for instance, uh, very controversial is a bus gate, uh, and there are ongoing concerns about that being policed properly. Uh, and then you get into the situation that if the road space isn't sufficient, uh, does does the width have to be expanded? Does that impact properties nearby? To what extent does it impact people's gardens? Uh, and that's where you have a whole different process about compulsory purchase orders and uh, and a, a planning process that has to be brought into play. This is something that's going to take several years. I, I don't expect uh, a finished bus corridor to be uh, in Cork, the, the least controversial of them, uh, until maybe 2027. And Councillor Mary Rose Desmond, um, Councillor Dan Boyle was saying there about the lack of communication and that's something that you have been talking about as well, that there hasn't been enough communication and consultation with this plan and that the consultation period, you've asked for it to be uh, lengthened to give people time to put their views across. I have indeed, Fiona. Thank you. Um, yes, look, I mean, I, I've been consistent on this actually for quite some time. And I suppose I thought I was trying to assist the NTA and Bus Connects by flagging it well in advance as to how both the time of the year and the length of time within the process um, needed to be sufficient. And I suppose I felt then, to be honest, um, that it absorbed falling at the first hurdle straight away when the, the initial uh, submission date was for the beginning of September. But look, I, and I, I did call for that to be extended. Um, and got the full support of, of council. Um, so that has been extended now, uh, that, that, and this is for the first stage, to the 3rd of October. But I do believe it still needs more than that again. And I, I'm not going to con- confuse people or make it too complicated at this stage. Mm. As Dan did rightly say, it is a long road, but each stage is very, very important. And I would be, always be fearful of complacency. And I've been involved with situations like this before, the M28 back in the day, and, and I know how quickly... Those, those stages go by and, and you know, there's, there's, there's the chance or the promise of more consultation and it doesn't necessarily always materialise. So, I, so I, I, have a, I have a genuine concern about that, um, mm. but we are at the start of this. So in the first instance, I'm, I'm grateful that it's extended to the 3rd of October. But I think the communication right across the board, I think everybody has been, um, from a local uh, elected uh, perspective, has been consistent on this, has been very, very poor. Me, myself and Councillor Shannon are, are, are currently having to, to put out a, a flyer in everyone's door in the area to make them aware of the consultation, the public consultation periods in Nemo next week on the Wednesday and Thursday, as you as you outlined. But we shouldn't have had to do that. I mean, Bus Connects decided the timeline for this and as to when they were starting it. So they should have been ready to roll out using services like yourselves, like the radio, which I know that they have done, but it needed more. It needed something in everyone's letterbox that following day, notifying in the first instance 
of the, these public consultation meetings. Um, and I suppose if I could, Fiona, I would just encourage people to engage in this as well. Because... And- Yes, sorry. Yeah, if people do want to engage in it, like, do they have to go to these meetings that I called out there or is there a way that they can do it online? Well, there is, but I really think that nothing beats actually being there as as, as some sporting organisations would say. Um, I mean, I, I you, you really get to see the nuts and bolts in it. One, not everybody is online um, and, and that's come across very clearly to us. Um, I think, again, as councillors, we're at the public face of this. I've already attended two public meetings um, there's a lot of fear and trepidation. Um, look, some of it's going to be warranted. I, 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 I don't mean to be completely negative about this, but as this current proposal stands, I wouldn't agree with it. There is massive things. I mean, you just mentioned the Mangla there a while ago. Um, I, I, I have gone up my life calling it the Mangla. But we have a fantastic Ballybrack walkway that we've put in there from our, our, our time at the county council and due to be extended. Mm. And the success of that, even, it just doesn't... It's not joined up thinking to think that it would still be a proposal that somebody is welded to that was there from 10, 15 years ago, that there would be a bridge go across the Mangla. That's just not, that doesn't make sense. And, and we shouldn't have had to, it shouldn't be that bizarre that that would still be in there. I and think one, that's of the, one of the areas is the Bel Air area. Um, they recently got €150,000 for traffic measures to protect school kids. And now with this um, Bus Connects plan, uh, there seems to be a large flow of traffic being directed towards the area. Yeah, well, I was just about to, I actually, I'd mentioned that to, to, to Fergie yesterday. So the Douglas Road, I mean, I, I'd have other concerns. There's a million there. Douglas Village taking the cars out of it completely and utterly, I don't think is feasible for the businesses in a village that's already struggling. Mm. Douglas Road going one way, when we have St. Finbar's Hospital that primarily services the infirm and the elderly um, and, and families that visit them. And then you have, to facilitate that at one point, you have traffic diverting up Bel Air Estate, as you just mentioned, coming up onto the top of the, ro- of the road there by Our Lady Lord's School. Now, we fought hard to get the funding from government, which we did get, to be fair, 140,000. The Our city engineers are working flat to the mat. We've had extra meetings to try and get that work done as quickly as possible without going too far into the new school year. And now we're talking about diverting all of that traffic up there and down Wallace's Avenue. Now, mm-hmm. anyone familiar with that road infrastructure, you can't drive up Wallace's Avenue. You know, so look, it's not about scaremongering. It is about getting people to be very, very engaged in this because this will happen in certain degrees. It cannot happen as it's currently proposed. But we need people to actually be actively involved. They need to see how it impacts them in their home. And it could be positive in certain circumstances, but how it also impacts the wider community. Again, by starting off by going to these meetings, mm-hmm. by certainly looking at registering um, community groups and reg- uh, residence groups for the community forums that are there online and making submissions. It's not about getting a submission in fast. I know people are fearful and panicked now. Mm. There is until the 3rd of October, so stop, think about it. Go to these meetings because you will have the NTA and the Cork Bus Connects people and their engineers will be there. Ask them the questions. Drill down into your impact and what it's there and take away from that as well the printed copies and the information that's there to be able to digest that. And no doubt I think we'll have as as, as local councillors in that. We're here to engage and I encourage anybody to certainly contact me or otherwise with any queries and, and that they have on the other side of it. Yeah. But we need engagement and we need people to make the submissions and they don't have to be technical. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to know how this is going to impact you and how best. And, and, and I'm, I'm very exercised to say that I don't want anyone thinking that as councillors, we're against this. We have been, we've won awards for how progressive we've been 
since the time in COVID with pedestrianising streets in the city. In my own area of southeast, we've, we've just signed off on the Mahan cycle scheme, a very significant cycle scheme. But we did that with good and proper consultation and we yeah. brought everybody with us. Because I think that's, like, you know, it can't be um, argued that we do need something, like that the buses need to be improved here in Cork. We need a better transport system, but I suppose it's just um, the, the communication and the consultation process needs to be done properly I, and take and people people's concerns into consideration if it's affecting them. And Councillor McNugent has been on to say another point is that the meetings all end at 7pm, which tends not to suit young parents, which is also very true as well, um, or people who are working, you know, so maybe I think yeah I, if I could just say there Fiona, I think uh, to be fair to the NTA last night they did say that while they will end at 7 they will be a flow over from that and I know that as I said I go back to the M28 people that arrive at 7 aren't going to be thrown out people that arrive okay. at 7 are going to be there for a while so there will be that trickle effect so I'd encourage people you know to, 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 to certainly try and make it um, and, and we will be pushing for further consultations and public meetings if if, if that's going to be needed as well. Okay. So certainly, look, Mick is, is correct there on that. And, and I suppose the big thing here is it's, it's the aim is to reduce the use of cars. And, and that's fine, but they're not going to disappear overnight. Okay. So we have to build up trust. We have to build up that, that this can work and it'll have to be done in stages and we'll have to bring people with us. But it isn't a case of just throwing a plan at the wall and seeing what will stick this has to work for people who have their homes and I suppose the 15 minute, minute city can't impact those that are 15 minutes already from the city, you know, at, at the expense of, of railroading through their homes and that. And look, and yes. I believe that, that we, we managed to make significant changes to this plan. Okay, lovely. Councillor Mary Rose Desmond and Councillor Dan Boyle, thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. How do you feel? Do you think that this new Bus Connects plan is going to be a benefit to the city or is it impacting you where you live? Let us know 0818 96 96 96 or the text WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Uh, before the break, I was speaking to Councillor Dan Boyle and Councillor Mary Rose Desmond about the Bus Connects plan for Cork and the meetings that um, are taking place over the coming weeks and McNug- Councillor McNugent had been in touch to say that they finish at 7pm which doesn't suit a lot of young parents and Mary Rose Desmond said that if people arrive at 7 they're not going to be turned away there will be that trickle effect and Mick has been back on to say that they will stay on late if people are there but it would be better if the times were just better tailored to people's lives and that's for sure I can just imagine people who are working or as you say Mick who have young kids maybe going after 7 o'clock is clashing with bedtime and it doesn't really suit so maybe they could have a look at that and maybe organise some meetings in the future that happen later on in the evening. Now the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Justice has been looking at the current approach to sanctions for possession of certain amount of drugs for personal use. The Cannabis Risk Alliance addressed the committee and part of that group was Professor Bob B. Smith who's a child and adolescent psychiatrist who specialises in addiction and he joins me now on the line. Good morning Professor Smith. Good morning, Fiona. Now, uh, Professor, you were addressing this group um, about the sanctions and, you know, there has been talk about maybe reducing the sanctions um, on on people who are caught with uh, cannabis in particular for personal use, but you don't believe that that's a good idea. Why is that? Um, I suppose it's not really the case that I don't think it's necessarily a, a good idea. I, I certainly have some wariness about it. Mm. Um, I think there's some potential downsides to it. I mean, it is really government policy following the Department of Health Committee 
that met a few years ago to move towards what's called a health referral. So that the plan is to put in place a system whereby if someone is found to be using drugs or by a member of Angarda Shea that they'll be directed to a health professional who will do an assessment. That's what's meant to happen in the first instance, which is a, a step in the direction of what some members of the committee wanted. Mm. Um, I suppose the only point we were making is that um, as you, if once you lesser, lessen uh, the sanctions or the seriousness of the consequence that's associated with drug use, if that's going to have any impact on people's drug use decisions, it's likely to, to nudge it up a little bit. And I suppose that's just the nervousness around um, re- relaxation of the policy. You did talk about a study that was carried out by third level students that was published last year. And half of those um, studied or questioned as part of that study had said that the reason why they didn't uh, use drugs was because they were afraid of um, getting caught. So is that a kind yeah. of a, a reflection well, then on how these sanctions do work? Well, it, it does indicate that that young people um, do factor in the, the the criminal you know punishment risks and the it's more the criminal conviction risk I suppose mm. they factor that into their decision making into not using drugs. So that was a survey that was actually led by by UCC involved uh, thousands of university students or third level students across the country, and yeah, as you say, for the people who'd never used drugs, half of those reported that that the criminal sanctions was one of the one of the factors that they considered or that they uh, that was involved in their decision not to use drugs there's lots of other factors as well obviously young people are worried about their mental health you know the mental health impacts of drug mm. use the addiction risks and so on so it's one of a number of factors do you think um you know the way we often hear of uh, people who end up in the um courts and they might have been caught with a very very small amount of cannabis and they don't get a criminal conviction at all because it's such a small um amount i mean should that be looked at as well because it seems that um in those kind of cases it takes up a lot of time um in the court system which is already um really really busy i mean particularly you know we see a lot of cases taking so long to come to court that uh, for a small amount like that that maybe there should be other options available yeah and that goes back to the point uh, i mentioned earlier that the department of health committee uh, that reviewed this issue has recommended a move towards health referral. So the first time someone is is found in possession of drugs, um, a small amount, that's clearly just for their own use, mm. they'd be just directed towards a health professional. And that will then reduce the pressure on the courts. If someone is caught again a second time, there's then uh, plans to use what's called a, an adult caution, which again just involves the, the, the guard or the guard or sergeant in the station. Uh, and it's only on a third uh, occasion um, that you, there's any risk of finding yourself in front of a, a, of a judge. And uh, But as you say, the vast, vast majority of people who find themselves in front of judges at the moment mm. charged with possession, it's generally, uh, you know, they don't end up with a conviction. They're just required to make a donation to the poor box or something. Yeah. Uh, that's how it's generally dealt with. And do you think, um, Professor Smith, the Cannabis Risk Alliance were saying that, uh, that their primary concern is the lack of public awareness of the harms of cannabis use generally. Um, yeah. Do you think that we need to have more awareness in this country about the, the, the harmful effects of cannabis? Yeah, at the end of the day, we think laws are a pretty small component of an overall drug policy, uh, yet it seems to be the only thing we've talked about in Ireland over the last 10 years. I mean, there's a really powerful movement which is trying to drive legalisation, and they've really captured the whole drug conversation completely. Mm. 
So no one is now talking about the harms of cannabis, which is, I think, part of the reason why those harms are increasing. Um, As you mentioned at the start, I'm a child psychiatrist. I work in addiction services. I'm mainly based in Dublin, but I do provide some support to services outside of Dublin. And Mm. I know that across Ireland, in adolescent addiction services, cannabis is now the primary drug generating work for our services. 70% of our referrals, cannabis is the primary drug. And that's the same nationally. And what are you Uh, seeing? Like, What kind of effects is it having on young people? um, I suppose what's... Surprises me, Fiona, is that I started in this job nearly 20 years ago, uh, yeah. sort of a, at the tail end of the heroin epidemic. Um, and at that time, I would have sort of shrugged my shoulders at cannabis. It was hash back then, and it wasn't causing big problems. But it is now the one drug that I encounter where young people use it 24-7. They're using from first thing in the morning to last thing at night, seven days a week. Mm. Um, and, you know, they're ending up. Uh, dependent on it. They're spending a lot of money on it. Um, It's interfering with their school participation. It's having adverse impacts on their mood. There's lots of anxiety. Young people reporting sort of been been paranoid. Motivation seems to dip a bit, certainly for some young people. Um, It's causing lots of distress then within families uh, as parents sort of watch uh, their their son or daughter um, change uh, in a way that really worries them. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I suppose no one's talking about that. And the, the, the general population survey, uh, which included, you know, young adults as well, mm. their estimate prevalence of, of, of cannabis dependence in Ireland is um, indicates that there's about 25,000 people in Ireland who are currently dependent on cannabis. The majority yeah. of those are males. The majority of them are, are young, as in under 25. Um, but, you know, th- their lives are been sort of derailed or on hold because of that addiction. And that's have that has ripple effects within their family. Um, and no one is talking about that. Our psychiatric hospitals, cannabis is by far and away the, the drug that's most frequently involved in drug-related psychiatric mm-hmm. admissions. There's a fourfold increase in the number of people in our general hospitals, our medical hospitals, with a cannabis-related diagnosis. So we think people should be talking about that, and people who are deciding will I smoke cannabis or not should be factoring those risks into their decision-making. Brilliant. Professor Bobby Smith, child and adolescent psychiatrist who specialises in addictions and is part of the Cannabis Risk Alliance. Thank you very much for your time on the opinion line this morning. Um, we will watch with interest to see what comes out of that Oireachtas Committee. Met Aaron have tweeted that there is a status yellow thunderstorm warning for Cork with potential for heavy rainfall and some localised flooding. So there you go now. Just be careful when you're out and about on the roads today. And if you want to get in touch with us about anything coming up in the show 0818969696. Yesterday we were talking about ways of keeping cool and somebody had uh, texted us in and was speaking about ice vests and ice jackets and Shane Bucks informs us that those vests jackets are now common in F1 motor racing because if you think a regular car is hot in this weather imagine a racing car and yesterday when I got into my car oh my god the heat I felt the legs burning off me when I sat on the chair but uh, I don't think we need, I don't think we need to worry about that today. Um, rain all over Cork, thunder and lightning forecast back to normal here in Cork. Um, but uh, we were t- speaking of back to normal. Uh, we've been talking an awful lot about the cost of living going up, and I think going out for lunch and for dinner now is nearly a, a luxury. But what would you expect to pay for a decent lunch when you're out? Well, Tony was shocked by what he was charged. 
Tony, you went out for dinner the other night and you were quite shocked by the whole experience. What it happened? Was lunchtime. It was lunchtime, okay. It was lunchtime, yeah. Afternoon, around, around uh, about uh, half twelve that way. Mm-hmm. We, uh, brother and I said, we went in and we sat down and this girl came over and he says, we have a wife on the menu. And he said, oh, the menu. The menu was only very fair now to the truth, but no, really said lunch on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So she had bacon and then he said, is that, that's not rasters now, is it? He said, oh, I don't think so, she says. You know, I know some people might give the rasters or something. I know, yeah. Bacon, yeah. So, anyway, he said, I'll try the bacon and have a cabbage. She said, oh, I don't think we have any cabbage. She couldn't do it, she wasn't experienced, you know? Yeah. So, anyway, the bacon came out and, yeah, and there was a bit of mash underneath it. And there was like a small bowl of carrots with a few peas. I think there was two players in their jackets. So he wouldn't eat the veg in here. He was in the afternoon operation, so he couldn't have to eat that kind of veg. So. Mm-hmm. And you know, I said I'd have the turkey and ham, and the turkey and ham came out. And the same thing, with the plate underneath it, and the veg at the side. Mm. And then they came up with him a gravy, two bags of gravy. And next I decided to have a few chips. And I called her and she ran over a few chips in a one of them small wire uh, baskets, you know? Yeah. Really small, but now they small wire baskets, you know what I mean? Yeah. We'll put it to your pocket, really, you know? <laughs> and then and yeah, we, we finished in here. And he said, yeah, it wasn't too bad, he said, but I dropped the pay in here and the bacon was 15.85, and the fucking ham was 16.95. Right. And all sides after it, three ninety five. So you were the whole lot had twenty six eighty five. So you were charged extra for the chips, even though you'd only got a tiny amount of them, and there was only two potatoes yeah. on the plate. Yeah, tiny basket of chips there, uh, three ninety five. Twenty six eighty five. We came for for lunch. That's a bit expensive for lunch, and we had no dessert. I know there's no starts on that. And did you get any drinks or any tea or coffee or anything like oh, that? No, no, we had nothing. No. So you paid thirty six over thirty six euro just for two 36 lunches. Thirty six eighty five. Thirty six eighty five for just two lunches, two and lunches. you were charged extra then for the chips as well. Well, the the, lunch, the lunches were uh, fifteen ninety five, sixteen ninety five. The talking ham was there, was the bacon, mm. and next after that, then the three ninety five was on for the chips. But I suppose you would think that if you were charged that amount of money, 16 euro for a plate of grub, that the chips would come with it. That's what I'm saying. You would expect it to come with it, yeah? Mm. Well, I wouldn't, yeah. I expect it to come with it. You would think the chips would be part of lunch. And I suppose then if you had ordered an extra portion of vegetables or whatever, like that would have been extra as well, would it? Yeah. Or it would be extra as well. Everything would be extra. And did you say anything to the staff? There was, I, I, you couldn't call them, no, like when they went to pay. There was, uh, there was no one around, to, uh, there was no one in, in, in the authorities that asked for it, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? I was in the place now yesterday, which I was in town yesterday morning, I went into this place, and I had a, a four-course lunch, I had orange juice, I had turkey and ham, which no no stuffing. And, and I was amazed 
There was four vegetables and four vegetables on the place, and I had two mashed potatoes. I didn't eat all the vegetables. And how much did that come to the four course meal? And I had a, I had a bit of cheese sitting in a cup of tea, twenty euro. So far, four euro. I cost me thirteen euro. And and would I you have got would I, you have got the chips with that? Well, if I wanted chips, I'd say I, 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 they wouldn't have charged me. For mm. it, yeah, you know. So, do you think, Tony, that some places? Um, I know that there's a lot of talk about the cost of inflation going up, and a lot of people in the hospitality sector are saying they're struggling to make ends meet. But do you think that, as a country, we're charging ourselves out of the well, well, the market? Well, well, yeah, but over charging ourselves, yeah. Mm. Definitely. But you, let me say, you're not getting the you're not the quality for taking on. Like, do you think now that um, you'd think twice about going out for lunch if you were going to be charged that kind of price? I wouldn't be going down there again, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't think that they're the only place that charge those kind of prices. Um, you know, I wouldn't be um, out a lot for lunch myself either. But you know, I do know that any time I have gone out, and if you char- if you want to get a soup and sandwich, you know, it's I don't know what it is. Is it nearly a tenner? But if you want to get the the, yeah. the meal, the dinner, like at lunchtime. They, well, they, 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 they seem to call. Yeah. I had a toast special down there last week in the place, and a pot of tea, and I got a second pot of tea, nine twenty. Hmm. Nine twenty, which was very reasonable. But yeah. as I say, I ordered a second pot of tea, and I wasn't charged for it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, geez, I suppose you'd hope that if you were going to be charged, or that if you were going to have a second pot of tea, that you wouldn't be charged with it, that you'd get a bit of a refill, you know? But uh, no, that was that was too much alcohol for lunch, thirty six eighty five. Scandalous, isn't it? Oh, scandalous. All right, listen, Tony, thanks a million. Maybe other people out there will have similar experiences. Yeah, well, I've experienced similar y- experience. And then, like you said, yeah. there, was a, there was a family from Ben and Colleague, which I knew that they were there. There was a husband and wife, and I think it was two or three daughters. Right? We see, would they be, would, would they, would they be uh, happy with it? Or they might ring you, you know? You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. All right, Tony, thanks so much. All right, thank you. Thanks a lot. Well, what do you think? Was Tony completely overcharged? Thirty six ninety five for two lunches. Uh, he was charged extra for the chips that he says he couldn't even put into his pocket. They were that small. And uh, no drinks, no tea, coffee, nothing. Just the two dinners that he got for or for, for the two lunches. Thirty six ninety five. Are we? Has anybody else experienced those kind of prices? Are we charging way too much? Are we pricing ourselves out of the market? I mean, we have a lot of tourists in um, the country now at this stage. Are they going? Going to be leaving thinking God Ireland is just absolutely outrageous for eating out. Um, you know, like I was in Spain there a while back and Definitely, you were. I, I did notice, like they, I, I did notice that they had gone up in prices as well. But um, you know, we would have got maybe four lunches for for the same price that Tony paid for two for myself, and my husband, and the two kids. Um, and it's definitely something um, that we have to have to realise here that you know that the prices are are way way too much for people going out for dinner. And you know, I, I suppose people now who are you know we're, we're, it's not that we're able to go out that much anymore because a lot of us just can't afford it so when you are able to go out you want to be able to enjoy it and 
you know, as Tony was saying, like you would imagine though, with that kind of a price that you'd get the chips included in it as well. Let us know anyway what you think. 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. Now, yesterday I was speaking to Sarah. She's a mum who, um, whose child was due to start at uh, Stepping Stones Montessori up in Farnree and they got a letter um, last week or the week before just informing them that the preschool would not be reopening in September and there was a protest outside the facility yesterday and during the conversation we were contacted by somebody who um, informed us that they had heard that Sun Valley Montessori School was um, that uh, it was closing as well and we did get a statement from them and they have confirmed that Sun Valley Montessori which is within the North Monastery Primary School for the last nine years is closing they were recently advised at short notice by the principal that they needed to take one of the two rooms that they were using to meet school needs thereby having the capacity Uh, funding for the ECCE sector has been an issue for a number of years and this loss of capacity has made an already difficult financial position unsustainable and the school says that they've been left with no choice but to close their doors they go on to say that it's been a privilege to have worked with the families over the past nine years and Sun Valley has always prided itself on the service that they provided. Their primary focus was the children and the families they work with and they would like to thank parents for letting them share in their children's early years educational experiences they're devastated for the parents children and staff but they've been left with no choice in this matter they have looked to secure alternative facilities but have not been successful to date and if in the future they identify a suitable location they would hope to reopen Sun Valley in the meantime they wish parents well for the future and apologise for the inconvenience that this has caused and it's a massive inconvenience and it's a massive of inconvenience for the area as well. That's two preschools now in the last two, three weeks that have announced that they're closing and we heard from Sarah yesterday how difficult it is to try and secure an alternative place in a, in a different school a lot of places already have their lists made out and have their numbers made out at this late stage and um, it's it's a blow for the north side to, to say the least and McBarry TD um, says that he's hearing of forthcoming closures in Mahan as well um, and it's an issue I think that's what, that we're going to see an awful lot more of um, Elaine Dunn of course course from Child Care Federation has been on the show and she has spoken of the the funding difficulties that the child care sector is facing and it's having huge consequences and we're seeing now the results of this with a lot of places closing because of funding. With regards to the bus connects, uh, Maeve has been in touch to say Ballybrack Woods um, the council made it a beautifully maintained amenity gorgeous mature trees where she walks regularly and it will be destroyed with this bridge that they're talking about putting through it. Uh, We've also gotten a WhatsApp message from um, a lady who's having her property affected by the bus connects. It's quite a lengthy message. There's a lot of reading in it um, and so we will look into that message after the show today and we will come back to that. So thank you very much for that. Um, Also with regards to Jackie's call early this morning, she was talking about people who are applying for jobs in uh, the hospitality sector. She did mention other sectors, but this was primarily the hospitality sector. And she said that uh, one of her house guests, who's only 19, had gone, had had, um, gone into a restaurant, asked for a job, and they asked her to come and work an unpaid shift as part of the the application process. Councillor John Marr has been in touch to say it's crazy that in 2022, a person cannot expect a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. I wonder if the person who interviewed is docked money if they 
they don't get the right person, pay the workers, hashtag fair pay, respect, join a union. Well, I'm not sure about joining a union, um, Councillor Marr, but definitely fair pay for a fair day's work is, um, you know, like it's it's just what people expect now. And um, if people are using people to come in and, and fill shifts uh, by saying that it's part of the application process and, you know, that they want to see what way they work in a restaurant, um, I just think that that's very unfair and questions really need to be asked about that. Let us know what you think. 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I was speaking to Tony there about his uh, lunch out. Himself and his brother got two uh, dinners. Um, it was on the lunch menu. Two dinners. Uh, thirty six ninety five. They paid for um, a bacon and potatoes and a turkey and ham and potatoes. No chips included. He had to pay extra for the chips. Um, no drinks. No dessert. No starter. Thirty six ninety five. And he was really shocked. Um, and Kate has been in touch to say if the restaurant was reasonable, people will go back. Word of mouth is a great way of having. People people avoid places. Uh, somebody else has been on the phone to say, I went into a bar or restaurant there recently and I got a salad bowl and they charged over 15 euro. Once bitten, twice shy. So the next time I got the smaller bowl, I got it there before for 9 euro, but this time it was 13.75. My friend was actually wondering if it was the large bowl. That's some rate of inflation. 9 euro to 13.75 in a few weeks. Ridiculous. That really is ridiculous actually, caller. Um, and if you're getting a, something that's a smaller size, you'd expect to pay... A, a good bit less than um, you know what's 15 euro for the large one 13.75 for the small one that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever if anybody else has any experiences that they'd like to share with us of having a really expensive lunch out uh, get in touch 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 and speaking about financial stress joining me now is the money doctor John Lowe good morning John Good morning, Fiona. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, you too. Thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Now, John, a recent survey found that everyone in the workforce suffers from stress and that the majority of employees' stress is financial. Um, does that mean that people are working and getting a wage but can't make the bill or can't make ends meet even when they're working? Or is it that they're really stressed out because they feel that they're not getting paid enough for the job that they're doing? 
Well, it's more to do with the fact that of the latest, um, the last six months in particular, where inflation has gone to 7.8%, it's likely, <clears throat> if you wanted to go to 10% by the end of the year, according to Central Bank, um, you've got, you know, uh, like an estimate for a family of four to, to live is about 3,100 a month, single person, 876. And that doesn't include rent, by the way. So, um, you, you you mentioned there, you know, prices of of, of groceries and stuff like that. Mm. That's all part and parcel of of the the stress. Not not even just the political stress within your your workplace. You know, you mightn't get on with a colleague, but you're talking about you know, have you got enough money to go home and and uh, feed your your family? Um, and then you 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 know, there there are three things when you do a little budget. You normally come up with, you know, your expenditure uh, maybe exceeding your income. So you've got really three choices. You either cut costs, uh, earn more, or you prioritize. And that's why over the last five years, over 300,000 people stopped paying their health insurance. That was just for starters. Mm. So you've also then got the situation when you look at that expenditure, you ask yourself the two, two questions. Number one, do I need it? And number two, is there a cheaper or better alternative mm. and and really that's really where, where it's at this is actually you could put this as a very positive time Fiona where it's not just about you know doom and gloom or oh, we're going to be 10% inflation and all the rest of it this is a really wonderful time to look at your financial planning and to see where you're going maybe for the next 10-20 years you might have a young family you know I, I, I won't um, uh, upset people by saying it's going to cost 42,000 uh, to send one child to third level oh, geez, just one child Stop telling me that. No. <laughs> so if you were able, and very, very, very few families, Fiona, can, can afford to put mm. that child benefit away of 140 a month. Say your child is born, you say, right, I'm going to put that away and that's going to be the third level. So 20, 18 years later, because it stops on the 18th birthday. So 18 years later, you have accumulated under your bed 28,560 euros. So you are still 14,000 shy of sending that same child to third level. So, so like, it is what do all we do about, then? Because that just sounds, um, you know, that's like well, talking Tuesday is, is, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, this is reality. A lot of people don't face reality. But the point is, you can still be positive because if you know that that's what your goal is, then and you want to send that child, well, for some people, you know, they literally don't have the money. And that's mm-hmm. where the likes of Susie Grants come in and various other um, kind of charitable uh, organizations that can help you. But uh, the, the ordinary average, it's like the, you know, the first home uh, the, the kind of scheme that's just been introduced this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for people who can't get onto the social. They're too, they're too well off. They're, 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 they have enough income. They can't get onto the social housing. But they're too low paid to get an ordinary mortgage. So that's where this first home scheme came on. So uh, every now and again, there's a new um, you know, initiative brought by the government or whoever to try and help people in their particular situations. So John, what advice though have you got for people? Because if they are in this situation where they're really, really stressed out by their finances, they're looking at their budget, they're saying like, I can't really, you know, save all of this money um, and live. Like what advice have you got for people? 
Well, you know, you, you can only kind of do what you have and, and do with what with what you have. I mean, if you if you haven't got the money, uh, it's it's as simple as that. You've got to cut back. You've really got to cut back. You've got to prioritize and see what's important in life. You know, there was a, a, in fifteen years ago when the, we we're in the start of the recession, the last recession, um, there was a family in Tralee who were actually paying their mortgage rather than pay put food on the table. Mm. Now that that was daft. That was completely daft. So you've got to get the priorities right. You know, your your, your family is first. Your food, you know, and uh, you know. If, yeah, but is a roof over you your head to, not a part of that? Well, it, it, it is. It is. But I mean, if you can't pay your mortgage, then you go down to your mortgage provider and you negotiate. Or if if you've got into arrears, I'm a personal solvency practitioner as well, so I see a lot of this, and uh, there's hope. No matter how bleak your situation, there's always hope. I mean, they have a thing called the Awalia scheme, which is for people who will get professional advice, either from a solicitor or from a person, obviously practitioner, uh, up to 500 euros, which will basically get you your first uh, free consultation to let you know what options do you have. And there are plenty of options. I mean, there's lots of, of schemes that have been brought in to try and help people keep them in their home. Remember that the banks do not want to take you from your home and the lenders. They want you to stay there. And if there's a way around that they can, uh, you know, put some kind of a scheme in place to keep you at home, they'll do it. Mm. So there's always there's always hope, but I think it still starts with with that budget that you did, and you look at that expenditure and you ask yourself those two questions: Do I need it? Is there a better, cheaper alternative? Yeah. And and you know, once you've paired till you can pair no more, then it's it's back to the walls. And then there's things like you know, uh, uh, if you've got some children in the family, maybe they can do a paper round. God, I I remember the years back where I did a paper round myself, mm. um, and helped. You with the family finance. My, my own daughters, by the way, Fiona used to say to me, uh, Dad, was it true that when, when you were uh, young that you were so poor that the first time you saw a butcher shop there was a, you thought there was an accident. <laughs> so I said, I no, that, no. I think the times have changed. And I mean, like, you know, we were hearing Jackie's story changed. this morning where, you know, young people are trying to get a job, but they go out to places and they're asking for a job and then they're told, yeah, you come in and do a trial shift, but you're not getting any money for it, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's, but that's really, really unfair. To, yeah, it is. And I think, you know, and we're hearing all of these stories now from people coming in, telling us about going out for dinner and uh, going out for lunch and, absolutely being ripped off and I think you know if you are working um, you should be able to enjoy the odd lunch out but not paying prices that are going to completely cripple you so I think as a country we really need to, to look at what we're doing yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more because, you know, you also, by the way, there's a three-letter word that you need to have uh, to, 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 you know, live this life. And that's called fun. And mm-hmm. if you don't have fun in your life, either fun from working, fun from uh, being able to go out the odd occasion. Maybe you can't afford to go out every week, but maybe once a month you can afford to go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to the cinema. You can, And there's lots of free things like, uh, you know, there's uh, libraries, there's, uh, you know, national galleries, all those kind of things are free that people don't, um, you know, appreciate or avail of. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you can really, as I say, I would rather say positive. I mean, th- there is a reality and the reality is that if you have children, for instance, you want them to go to third level, there's a certain um, amount of planning you need to do. But that planning starts from the time they're born. 
Yeah. I mean, I had I had couples come to me in the last few years saying, can we afford to get married, let alone have children? Yeah, yeah. I know it's terrible, isn't it? And it's an awful sign of the world that we're living in today. John Lowe, The Money Doctor, thank you very much for joining us. Before I let you go, John, you do run financial wellbeing webinars and seminars um, for people. For yeah. um, They're aimed at employers, are they, for their companies? Well, well actually, it's employees. And, and uh, in fact, I'm doing one in 15 minutes in Goi, Go, uh, but it's, it's a Zoom, which is brilliant. Okay. Um, it's an hour long. It's called Financially Healthy for Life, and it covers the A to Z of personal finance. But it, it's done in a humorous uh, way so that companies if they want to avail of a wellness program financial wellness program mm-hmm. um, they can give it to their staff for free basically um, my, my fees are actually quite small and but the the amount of good it does to the to the staff because first of all um, they know now that their company has actually thought enough of them that they want to get uh, somebody in to t- tell them how to better manage their money Okay. John Lowe, The Money Doctor, thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. We were speaking to Tony about the cost of his lunch and people have been contacting us with similar experiences. Uh, Somebody got in touch with us there via WhatsApp. I work in a guest house and all guests from all over the world I've been speaking to have said they will not be coming back with what the cost here is for everything. Um, And that's actually really sad to hear. Um, And and it's a point that I was making earlier as well. When you have people coming over to Ireland, when you have tourists coming coming here and they see the price of everything, is it going to put them off coming? Another person has been in touch to say, we went out last weekend for dinner. My husband's roast beef was €25 and the sea bass I had was €19. The vegetables that came with both were horrible. For €25, you'd be expecting something phenomenal altogether no potatoes either just chips it would make me think twice about going out again and that was a point that Tony made as well caller that if you're paying those kind of prices you wouldn't mind if you were getting really good service and really good value for money but if you're getting uh, a plate of food for that kind of price you would expect it to be really tasty and you know especially if you don't go out very often and you are going out and I know what it's like I've been out before really looking forward to a meal out and you go out and it's just really horrible and uh, you've paid a lot of money for it it's not fair. It really, really isn't fair on people and the prices are absolutely astronomical. Uh, get in touch with us if you've got similar experiences 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. Now, sarcoma is a type of cancer that begins in the bones and soft tissue and early diagnosis is key in treating it but can often take time to diagnose. July is Sarcoma Awareness Month and Ruth is here to talk about her own experience. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Ruth, when did you discover that something wasn't right? Um, so I suppose my journey began back in August of 2016. Um, I was 31. I was very fit and healthy. Um, I'd never been sick previously in my life. So um, I just I kind of started out with just a kind of a sore ankle. My right ankle was just uncomfortable um, sore when I was walking um, and it progressively got worse. I mean, I was very busy at the time I was working. I'm a physiotherapist as well. So I um, didn't really take much notice of it until it just didn't settle. 
Um, and it actually became quite uncomfortable to walk. So I decided to in- get investigated myself. So um, I actually scheduled, um, got an MRI um, from my GP because I was just concerned. But really, I had no other symptoms. I was eating, drinking normally, mm. sleeping, everything was normal. Um, so I wasn't overly concerned, um, just that the pain wasn't settling and I had no um, cause for it in, in one sense. Um, and really, I suppose what happened after that was the diagnosis um, and how long it took to get a correct diagnosis, I suppose. But really just the the, the shock when I saw the MRI and I, w- I left the MRI centre thinking, you know, I wouldn't hear anymore. It would just be something soft tissue and nothing to be concerned about. And yeah. I was only in the car when I got a phone call um, from the, the, cl- the clinic to say, you need to go to hospital. And um, this is very serious. There's a very large mass in your leg. So it was just really shocking, I suppose. Um, and what what kind of came from that was just a whole whirlwind after that. And uh, it hasn't, uh, it's never, life has never really come back to normal since. And like but, um, you said that you were 31, to get that kind yeah. of diagnosis, such a serious diagnosis and to be told so quickly that you need to get to the hospital. I mean, it must have been yeah. such a shock. Yeah, my um, fiance, my now husband, was in the car with me. He had driven me up and we were just looking at each other in shock. Um, And it's that horrible feeling you have where you feel sick in your stomach and you know something isn't right, Mm. Uh, even though we had no idea what was coming down the road. Um, And really, I went to A&E that day straight from the MRI centre. Yeah. had an x-ray and then we were taken into a room and they just said we don't really know what this is yet but this is a really aggressive looking mass in your the end of your ankle um we don't know what it is exactly but it isn't good basically um and just that you won't be going home this evening you're going to be staying in and what happened you know from that point then there's biopsies hmm. um investigations uh but for me the diagnosis was a very protracted one they didn't have a diagnosis initially they thought it was a benign tumor to begin with yeah. um, so our hopes were up we thought that this was something that I would need to be removed and that life would go back to normal and I really clung on to that for a long time yeah um, they reconstructed they took out the what they thought was a benign mass in in the October um, but seven or eight weeks later um, my leg broke down the wound uh, I was seen in Dublin for for this because it is a they you know they knew it was a tumor of some description, mm. um, and I was actually referred to Dublin to Kappa, um, and then when they when it reoccurred and the wound broke down, they sent um, biopsies again and more investigations to the UK to try and get an answer as to what this tumor was, um, but they still felt it was benign. I wasn't getting a, a more sinister diagnosis at that point. But unfortunately, so much of the lower part of my leg had to be removed with the tumour that uh, by the December um, they couldn't remove any more. It, it was a case of having to amputate the leg below the knee. Oh, um, there was nothing left to reconstruct. Yeah. yeah. So in the December of that year, um, I actually had, it was a week before Christmas, I had the abalone amputation done in Kappa. Um, still not having a, um, a cancerous diagnosis at this point. Uh, but we knew, I suppose, in our hearts that there was something yeah. really sinister here. Yeah. Um, but a few weeks later, it was actually uh, officially diagnosed then as a telangiectatic osteosarcoma, which is a rare, a rare subtype. Yeah. And did you have to start chemo then? 
Uh, yeah, so again, kind of a second whirlwind happens the minute your diagnosis goes from being benign to malignant. Um, it's it's just like you flick a switch and everything changes. So it was a case of the leg was amputated. I was trying um, to get going, walking in a prosthesis in early January. Um, and they had to rescan my whole body for um, if to see if the cancer had spread anywhere. Mm. Because at this point, we were five months from when I initially presented with a swelling in my ankle. Um, so we were very far down the line. Um, and this is one of the the biggest things with any cancer is early diagnosis so that you aren't sitting around having a cancer metastasized to other parts of the body. Um, so unfortunately, in my case, uh, when I was scanned, it had actually metastasized to my lungs already. So uh, it was a case of chemotherapy as fast as they could. The leg was already amputated, but they really needed to hit hard with as much chemo as they could possibly give me. So I had MAP chemotherapy, which is very intensive, where you have to stay in hospital for all of it. Um, and I suppose that was the hardest part of this, of the whole journey was when they tell you that it's metastasized because mm. um, I'd worked in acute hospitals myself for six years. And I, I mean, I know what that means. Yeah. I think anyone in the general public knows that that's not good. Yeah. Um, and just given a poor prognosis, really, at that point. So kind of told that, look, my chances of surviving five years would be about 30 percent. So we knew we were up against it, I think, you know, um, and that was the hardest part because it was a case of you've just lost your leg and now you mightn't actually make it either. Um, but I started the chemo and we, we said we'd, we'd do everything. I said I'd take all the chemo we could get and give it our best shot, really. And uh, I had nine months of treatment um, in CUH and I also had a lung resection. Yeah. So I opted to have um, a tumor removed from my lung, which was isn't the case for everyone. It's it's risky surgery and it doesn't always have, you know, the best outcomes either. But I just felt and the cons or my medical oncologist felt that it would be I'd be a candidate for it. So we did that as well. Um, and I, that kind of totally brought me up to kind of the end of 2017. So, yeah, it was a, a long time, long, lots of hospital stays. Yeah. And you managed to defy the odds. You've, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you lived, uh, you're, you're, you know, the five years have passed now and... Um, uh, yeah, nearly there. Uh, October of this year, I'll hit okay. the five-year um, mark. So I will have most definitely defied the odds if, if I make it. And how are <laughs> so you So I'm now? hoping to make it, yeah. Good, yeah, lots of regular scanning. Um, touch wood, I have not had a reoccurrence in my lungs or... Um, you know, at least in one sense, um, despite it, it's a horrendous thing is to, to lose a part of your limb. Mm. But the fact that it was in a limb that could be essentially it's it's it's, you know, it's it's um they could take it off. You know, it's it's gruesome enough to even say that. But yeah. in some ways, because they could cut it out and cut it off, it's gone. You know, when it when a tumor and certain sarcomas are of the soft tissue as well, a bone sarcomas are only one part of sarcoma. Mm. They actually affect more soft tissues than bone. Um, about 175 people in Ireland are actually diagnosed with soft tissue sarcomas every year. So they're more common than bone um, and unfortunately if it's in an organ you know it's not possible to cut that out in the sense that you know you can't get rid of it as cleanly as you can if it's in a limb like a distal yeah. limb like my lower leg so it's it's horrendous to lose a limb but it was gone and at least then we were the chemo could just target what was in the body yeah. so I feel that that might have been a saving grace for me in one sense and um, definitely the amputation saved my life um, for sure yeah. 
Well, I'm delighted that it did and I'm really glad that you were able to come on the show today and raise awareness of sarcoma and I suppose, you know, getting a diagnosis, <clears throat> getting an early treatment as well is key. Ruth, thank yep. you so much and we might get, get in touch with you again and let us know how you're getting on and stay, you know, stay healthy if you can. That's okay, great. Thank, thank you, you Ruth. Um, that was Ruth and her story of sarcoma for Sarcoma Awareness Week. Keep your comments coming in to us 0818 96 96 96 text to WhatsApp 083 And of course you can email us opinion at 96fm.ie just with regards to the price of uh, food going up and restaurants going up. Uh, Mary has been in touch to say in a local shop a tub of dairy gold butter that was two ninety nine is now five eighty five. That seems an extraordinary jump, Mary, from two ninety nine to five eighty five for butter, which you know John Lowe was talking about cutting um things from our um you know daily lives in order to help us with our budgets. But I mean like, you know, for a family butter is kind of one of those essential items. So that seems extraordinary. Um, another caller has been in touch to say isn't the greatest rip off ever a cup of tea so cheap to make yet the price is so similar to the much more expensive to make coffee that is so true Mary um, and I do think what is it normally is it uh, I don't know tea was definitely over two euro and as you say it's just a bag <laughs> of a tea bag and a, a water I think when you go out to a restaurant though it's the whole joy of being served the cup of tea and that you don't have to go make it yourself and that you don't have to clean up afterwards uh, but let us know have you had any experiences of eating out and f- found that it was just absolutely outrageous like Tony did he paid thirty six ninety five for two lunches and there was no drinks included in that uh, I was talking earlier as well to Amelia about her stolen bike and um, we got a message from Hyde Bike Plate 2 on Twitter to say um Check us out. I have a feeling you like our motorised license plate brackets, um, aka plate flipper. But the bat, but the gadget is the real deal. Um, so it's a it's a kind of a number plate hider. I think I'll have to have a look at that and see what that is. But thank you for getting in touch with us, and uh, we will have a look at that. And um, now we uh, we were talking there as well. Somebody was saying about how guest houses, um, they have a guest house and that the tourists who were coming here were saying that there's no way that they'd ever come here because of the price of everything. And um, it's been released now that <clears throat> the um, embassy in Pak- the Pakistan's embassy in Dublin has um, written up a whole list of um, do's and don'ts of uh, for people if they are coming to Ireland. So um, I'm going to read out some of these, the do's and don'ts of where you're coming to Ireland and let us know what you think. Do you agree or is there any that you think that we should add to this as well? So some of the do's are consider Ireland as your second home and treat its nationals, citizens as your family. Demonstrate full compliance with Irish law and rules. Always respect local culture and traditions and be mindful of cultural sensitivities. Make efforts to interact with local communities for better integration do purchase health insurance um, I think there's an awful lot of people in Ireland who don't have health insurance because of the price um, but yeah uh, always I suppose that's good advice for people who are coming here always get your Irish driving licence issued as soon as possible well I don't know if that's always a possibility we have had so many issues with things like that from people who haven't have applied and haven't been able to get it um, some of the don'ts though are interesting it says do not say Ireland is part of the British Isles and we see 
see how people react to that, especially when people like Saoirse Ronan do well and Sky News refer to her as being British. Uh, do not take offence to the banter or swearing. Um, God help you if you do, is all I can say, because I mean, like, that's what we're known for, isn't it? But uh, I know that um, I was over in the States a couple of years ago and they just didn't get the sarcasm of myself and my friends. So um, and I think people need to be aware of that, that um, Irish banter is only a bit of crack, really. We're not, we don't mean what we say. Sometimes we do, but not all the time. Do not call Dublin small in front of locals. And I think that that could be said about Cork as well. I remember walking through the streets there one day and I heard two um, tourists who were here and they couldn't get over the size of Cork. They were saying, I can't believe that they call this place a city. And I took a huge offence to that. <laughs> do not mention leprechauns. Uh, do not miss Gaelic sports. Do not worry about safety in Ireland. Uh, do not indulge in politically and culturally sensitive activities. Do not indulge in hate speech. Never indulge in illegal activities and be careful when interacting with minors in the streets and never drive without insurance. That's just some of them now. They have written up 24's do's and don'ts and that is the Pakistan's embassy in Dublin. Do you agree with some of them or is there more that you think that they should have added? Let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96. I'm sorry now but uh, Irish Water are telling us that we're at risk of a drought. Come on, we had a heat wave for, what was it, two days? It was raining this morning and parts of Cork at risk of a drought. What is going on there? That's another issue that they need to sort out seriously. Like it rains for most of the year. Can they not store that water for, for when we have a few good days? Uh, did I also hear Maureen say there um, that uh, there's going to be cashless banks that you won't be able to get your money out um, of some of the banks? And it's funny, or maybe not so funny, but the Pakistan's embassy's list of do's and don'ts for coming to Ireland. One of the don'ts is never lodge cash payments to your bank account with no backup so there you go don't lodge your money into the bank unless you have a backup because you may not be able to get it out they're going cashless um, also we were speaking about going out um, for lunch uh, Tony had gone out for lunch and was shocked by the price and people have been getting in touch with us about their own experiences of being out for lunch and for dinner and Johnny has been in touch to say I go to Austria regularly for my holidays and find it very reasonable but if anyone asks me about coming to Ireland I tell them don't it's too expensive. The government reduced the VAT rate, put it back up as it seems it wasn't passed on I mean I guess just you know this is one of the big things isn't it it's people come to Ireland like the other caller there earlier um, and are shocked by the prices and um, you know that's I just really don't think we're doing ourselves any favours by charging these um, high prices for, for lunch and for dinner and even in the shop somebody was saying there that the price of dairy gold had gone up to 5 99 Outrageous but joining me now is singer Kean Duckrow Good morning Kean. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Kian, um first of all, your song, um, All For You, flying it at the minute, isn't it? It is, yeah, thank you. And it, um, it was on uh, Love Island there the other night and I watched a video of you watching Love Island when your song came on and your expression said it all. What was that moment like? Well, it was funny because like I, I watched... I think it's the first year that I've like ever watched Love Island and uh, I usually tend to watch it on catch up because I don't catch the live stream. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, like when your song is going to be on Love Island, you don't know. And so I was out for dinner 
uh, and I was like, you know, you get so invested in the season. And I was out having dinner when I found out yeah. uh, that it had been used on Love Island, but I had no idea like what had happened or how it had been used. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was pretty crazy because it was obviously like a huge moment in the show that was like extremely, uh, extremely emotional. And to, then to have your own song just sort of like played over and over in that moment was yeah it was pretty crazy and I mean like Love Island has such a huge reach so I mean to have that song and as you say it was such a huge moment on the show um, you know it's just uh, what has the reaction been like since then yeah it's been amazing it's been really really incredible to see sort of like um, just the response from everyone and I think you know after it it sort of after it had happened, I think that night or that morning, I, I had, you know, I haven't even been able, to, I'd say I haven't read 10% of them, but it probably, <laughs> you know, a few thousand messages of people sort of telling me that like, oh, your song is at Love Island or like, or <laughs> people who found it for the first time through Love Island and sort of have reached out to me. And yeah, it's been really, really um, cool to sort of see the song uh, connect so much uh, in a different way. Um through something like a TV show like that and just like reach another new audience. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's nice. It's always nice to see that when you have, you know, cause there's, you know, there's a lot of music in TV shows and in films and stuff and, you know, to get that and then to also have uh, such a huge reaction off of it um, and have so many people listening to the song afterwards is, is obviously, you know, a great thing for, uh, the song and then it's yeah it's a nice experience and it also featured on the Jimmy Fallon show how did that come about um that was uh I was actually flying to LA when it happened again I missed it (laughs) I was in I was in the sky yeah and uh I was in the sky like I had heard sort of briefly like they had requested for permission um, but they hadn't said like if they were going to use it and it's a lot of sort of like just because we ask doesn't mean we're going to actually use it so you're like okay like they do this stuff all the time they'll just mm. you know clear they'll clear some songs just in case they want to use things and uh, then we were in the sky and, and uh, I was flying to LA and my manager was she had Wi-Fi on the plane or something but you know it's obviously terrible Wi-Fi on the plane when you're flying across the yeah. ocean um, but she kind of got a, an email sort of near the end of our when we were kind of getting close to touching down and um and it was some sort of like oh like we're gonna use it tonight like please sign this form to like give us like permission and like we were signing it but we couldn't send it because like the wi-fi was so bad it wasn't allowing <laughs> us to send this form back so yeah. like we're my my manager just had to like email and be like we signed the form but like we can't send it because we have really terrible wi-fi <laughs> and we're in the middle of the sky um uh, and then i touched down eventually and i kind of got to my airbnb and i got wi-fi and then obviously i had like this huge like explosion on my phone of people being like you're on jimmy fallon your songs are jimmy fallon so yeah it was really cool and uh, the song All For You, it's, it, it is a great song and we are going to be playing it on the show um, later on this morning. But um, I was watching some of your videos on TikTok and Instagram and it was quite an emotional song for you to record. Yeah, I mean, like, I think every one of my songs are pretty emotional. So um, <laughs> I don't think I, I don't I don't think it's, you know, any different in that in that respect. Um I think uh, why do you get so emotional when you're recording them is it because they have such personal meaning for you or is it just that you're (laughs) overwhelmed by your success (laughs) Um, I don't know I think it's just more of like it's just like a very 
emotional, you know, story and when you're connecting with so many people over it and um I don't know really. I think, you know, it just brings out like emotions in you when mm. you're when you're that sort of stuff and and uh when you're writing it and when you're recording it and stuff sometimes it's just like you know and it can be a, an emotional experience which i think is really nice yeah and it's a time a time to sort of feel different things that you may not have felt before um uh yeah and you were the, the video came out um was it last week or earlier this month and it was shot here in cork that must have been emotional as well coming over here to cork to shoot the video yeah, that was crazy. That was like a real uh, sort of full circle moment of kind of, you know, if like the young, not that I'm old, but like, <laughs> you know, if the teenage, if the kid me, like the teenager in me, like who was living in Cork sort of knew that one day he'd be coming back and he'd be filming a music video for his song that's like, you know, on the charts and like, to be like doing that and to have a team and to be it's crazy really like yeah it mm. is it's it's kind of crazy and I don't think I would have believed it if I had said it to myself um when yeah, you spoke to I think you spoke to Lorraine on 96 FM some time back you were the select Irish artist for here I mean like little did you know then the the success that you were going to have ahead of you yeah well I think you never really know but like you always believe it like you yeah. have to believe it I think that's the only way that you for me personally anyway I think it's the only way that you get there and the only way that you can achieve anything is by really believing in yourself and it, it sounds cheesy but like it's true because otherwise like you would just give up you know it's like it's so it's so many years of like nothing happening you know you go for like 10 years and and there's there's nothing you know and then eventually you 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 get some results and things start to happen and and you start to succeed and you start to get like you know fulfill some of your dreams and um so i think like as as much as it's like always sort of like wow i i i never would have believed it or like i it's crazy it's also kind of like in the back of your head you're always kind of like it's going to happen it's going to happen like yeah. you just believe in yourself what was that big break moment for you like obviously you know the select irish here on 96 fm but um do you know was it uh, you you were signed by the same label as billy eilish is that when everything started to turn for you um yeah, kind of i mean it was like it was a bit leading up to that. I think, you know, I had I'd been releasing music and sort of building a following on social media. And then that's what led to sort of signing a record deal and and all of that. So it was all kind of a slow, gradual progression of things. And um, and I think, you know, that was kind of the first phase was like building the social media then um, and releasing music. And then when I obviously signed my record deal and stuff, I was taken a bit more seriously. So I had a few more opportunities that sort of put me on the map in a in maybe a more sort of serious way, you know. Um, and I think then the sort of the big, uh, the sort of biggest moment yet was, you know, when I released All For You and that was maybe a couple of months ago. And uh, I think, you know, just from one song, my my following on, on social media uh, more than doubled and like, you know, it's crazy. So yeah. that sort of the power of one song and uh, yeah, can really change, <laughs> change a lot in your Absolutely. And where are you living now? Are you going between London and, and LA? Is that the way you're working at the minute? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I live mostly in London and that's like my home. Um, but I do travel a lot to LA and uh, 
I think, yeah, being based between the two is kind of my mm. my my ideal. And have you got um, like obviously all for you? Have you have you have you got an album coming out now, or is it out already? And uh, no, also, I just like I basically just did a, an EP last year, and then all for you was the first song off of a mm. new project that would be that I'm sort of working on right now. Um, so there'll be like you know obviously a lot a lot of new music following that, and then. Uh, and then we'll, we'll see. You know, it could be an album. Maybe it's maybe it's not an album. Who knows? Yeah. And you have a tour. Um, your first UK and Ireland tour coming up, and um, you will be playing in Cypress Avenue here in Cork on September twenty eighth. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I my first tour ever, and it uh, funnily enough, actually, it all sold out in in one day, like immediately. Right. And the only <laughs> the only city that didn't sell out is Cork. <laughs> Stop. Um, which is like I kind of knew it was going to happen because, like, obviously Cork is tiny, and also everyone in Cork is just like, ah, oh, it's just just keen, like you know. Yeah, 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 everyone yeah. Sure, he get us in. He, we don't need to buy tickets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's, so there, there is still, I think, a handful of tickets left for Cork. Um, everything else sold out immediately, which was that was a shocker for me. That was a moment as well where I was like, okay, like you know. I think a couple, if you go back a few months ago, I did my first London show, mm. which maybe was 250 capacity. And that took a few weeks or months to sell out. Yeah. Um, and then to to fast forward just a couple of months later and put on a London show that's three times the capacity and then a tour in the UK and in Ireland. And all of those venues are more than the capacity of my very first London show and that they all sold out in one day I was like that's crazy that like, is I, crazy isn't it you can't register that there's people there like you know that are actually going to buy tickets and come and watch your show yeah. you know I mean like I suppose you probably had an understanding of uh, how many people were um, loving the song because you see that on your on your Instagram and on your TikTok like you have a huge amount of followers mm-hmm. and um, you know they've all been saying that they love the song they can't get the song out of um, their head but I suppose it's when you go to do a tour like that and you see how sales are going that you really realise how how big you are becoming because um, do you know like I think it's easy for people to sit on social media and and make a comment but it's not so easy for them to actually go out and buy a ticket for a show absolutely that's the biggest um and that's the biggest problem that people are having at the moment and and you know it's funnily enough we're in a time where i think it's probably the most difficult time in history to sell tickets like which mm. is what everyone's talking about right now it's like and so to have been able to sell out a tour in in one day uh, in that sort of climate of ticket sales was, you know, really sort of crazy. And there's such a huge demand still. And like every day I have people like begging me to put on more tickets and more shows and upgrade the venues. And and so it's like, it's really amazing, but you, you, you can't know until you do it because like the numbers on a screen, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you, you don't know who's actually uh, going to buy a ticket, who is actually um, sort of invested in that way. And uh, it's not until you, you know, you go out and you try and you're like okay let's see like mm. what we can do and uh and yeah it's 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 mind blowing to have that um that reaction and to have those ticket sales means you know the world because you then you get to connect in real in real life and actually see people and play for them and that's what it's all about absolutely and as you say now you've gone from a venue where just over 250 people to you know a sell out UK and Ireland tour so instead of coming to Cypress Avenue next year maybe you'll be coming to Parky Cueve <laughs> yeah absolutely I hope so is that hope the plan so. is that the goal that's, that's the goal <laughs> Keen. Best
best of luck with it and um, if people want to get tickets for your Cypress Avenue gig as you said there's a handful left and as I said we will be playing your song coming up now shortly on the show um, it's a really really good song best of luck with it all and thanks so much for joining us on the show today thank you very much for having me have a lovely day you too you too that's Kean De Crow from Cork I'm sure that heated seats are not something that we're looking for now, but it could be something that we'd like in our car in the winter months. But how would you feel if you had to pay a subscription for it? It's one of the things that was announced by BMW this week. And uh, joining me now to talk about this is motoring editor of the Sunday Independent and wheelsforwomen.ie, Geraldine Herbert. Good morning, Geraldine. Good morning, Fiona. I think we might be availing of cool seats, though. I quite like those in my car for today and tomorrow anyway. Oh, absolutely. I could have done with them yesterday. I sat in my car and as I said earlier, my legs were burnt off me. I couldn't breathe. So if I had had cool seats (laughs) or is there any mention of a subscription for air conditioning for your car? Well, thankfully, that comes standard in most BMWs. But, um, yeah, I think the point of this, um, Fiona, really is to give people the options for, um, for, I suppose, like that, you know, that you could have heated seats for the three coldest months of the year, but maybe the cooled seats, you know, being optimistic that the weather would actually justify them in July and August or something. Mm. So it's, it's that, you know, kind of ability to give the customer to dip in and out of options, I suppose, the high-end options that they may not want to land out for at the beginning and for, for you know, forever, basically. Like other things that they've announced um, are, they've been quite coy, I think. They've been quite quiet about, they're, they're remaining fairly vague, I think, about what they're they're planning on doing. But um, there's features like advanced driver assistance systems, augmented sports exhaust sounds, adaptive M suspension and heated seats seem to be the main ones. So like, um, so people would pay a subscription if they want these. So they could maybe pay a subscription for three months or they could pay it maybe for three years. Is that, is that the idea behind it? Yeah, it's sort of, you can pay per month, you can pay for a year, you can pay, you can have it, you know, installed for good. But they actually have on their website a connected drive section where they have listed all of these options. So, I mean, I suppose the thing, it kind of sounds almost cynical to offer subscription services for parts that are already on the car. And I think that was the initial reaction when people heard about this. They thought, but like, how can they offer, you know, how how can they charge me for something that's there? Mm. I suppose what people don't realise is these options are really expensive most times to actually install at the beginning when you're buying a car. And I suppose what you have to bear in mind as well is, do you actually need them? And sometimes just road testing them for a month makes you realise, I can't live without them, or do you know what? They're not worth the money. And the other question is, if you put them on your car, will you get the money back for them when you go to sell? Now, in some cases, Fiona, you know, certain features will add value, but in other cases, you won't get the, the, the money back. So I think from all of those points of view, it's just offering customers more flexibility. They did um, have the idea of subscription fees before and it didn't go down too well. So why are they bringing it up again now? Well, this is actually, it's kind of like they have, they have been offering this for quite a while. They did get into, there was, there was the Apple CarPlay um People didn't like didn't like paying extra for that, but they do currently offer these. Now, I'm not sure in what sort of numbers people avail of them, but I assume mm. the fact that they're still on offer, and there's quite a, a variety of them, as I said, on the website, that there is an interest in it somewhere. Um, so, like, I assume it does suit some people. As I said, some people find it quite a cynical approach, but I think we're just moving to that sort of subscription economy in all sorts of aspects of our life, and now it's extending, you know, from TV and streaming to, to our cars. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know you're saying that these features are very expensive to install, but I mean, like a BMW car is not cheap either to buy. So I suppose if you're spending that kind of money on buying a car, you would expect to get all of these additional features, no? 
I would have thought so. I mean, you can spend a huge amount of money on features. I had a, um, a BMW i4, their new electric car, last week. Now, the list price of that car was just um, under 67,000, but there's still 12,000 euros worth of extras on it. Right, okay, wow. So, I mean, I think it's, it depends on the customers and customers of the sort of premium brands like Mercedes, Audi, BMW have always expected to have this very extensive and very expensive options list. Mm-hmm. And I think part of being a customer is that you know there's certain things you have to opt further for. Whereas, you know, at the lower end of the market, the likes of Hyundai and Kia have made huge inroads in the market in the last 10 years because they offer so much as standard. So it does come down to sort of the customer and what the expectations are in the first place. Do you think that BMW is going is going for maybe a younger customer, a younger audience with this? Because um, I suppose with the Gen Z uh, group that they they like the idea of maybe not owning things. That they're not as obsessed about owning things as maybe like our generation. So is this something that BMW is aiming towards them? Yeah, I would say as well it's to do with how their product is sold. And a lot of BMWs are bought on PCP contracts. And this is really where you're just paying for the use of a car over three years. You don't own it at the end. Now, if you're paying monthly, I suppose throwing in a few extras, you know, on a monthly basis is not going to cost a lot more. And that's sort of, I suppose, that end of the market is what they're looking at. That means they'd still have customers who would come in and buy the car on a car loan or whatever and own it and run it for 10 years or whatever. And maybe they would be the ones they're targeting that you'd put all these options on at the beginning. And maybe it's the PCP customers that would opt for this monthly subscription. Yeah, yeah. Because I suppose it is a good, um, you know, when you think of it, like we don't need to have, say, for example, I'll keep coming back to the heated seats, but, you know, we don't need them um, for most of the year. Um, So, you know, I I suppose it does kind of make sense if you say, right, okay, I'm I'm only going to pay for them for December, January and February when it's really cold and then not bother with them for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, Fiona, when you're, when you're putting options on cars, they've tended to streamline them these days and put them into bundles. So there might be five different options, you know, that you pay two, two and a half thousand or whatever for. And you might only want two or three of those, not all five of them. So I think this actually does offer flexibility. I think it's a different way of looking at things. And as I said, I do see why people have a kind of idea that it's quite cynical or it's just, you know, money grabbing. But I think if you think about how options are sold, then it makes more sense. And as I said, you can just avail and test drive for one month what you actually want and then decide you know is this something I really could you know could that would add to my driving experience Mm, somebody has mentioned here that the real weightless motoring experience is a go car yeah I mean that's that that's like I think ideally our like what we are really moving towards is is that subscription service extended even to car ownership that we will Mm. dip in and out of the use of a car rather than owning so I think we're going to see in the next decade not only options being you know offered on a subscription service but actual cars on a subscription service so you might only avail of a car you know for a few months of the year or different cars at different times of the year so that's kind of you know the I suppose the end game. Is this the future of cars so, Geraldine, do you think? Um, Do you think, like, in the future, software upgrades will improve the extras available so it is, you know, a way of looking at things and that other cars, car makers and car manufacturers will follow suit? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the dynamic has changed when now, you know, it's software rather than hardware that that's the issue. So it's so easy to send out, you know, over-the-air updates. And Tesla were the first car makers, really, to allow owners to upgrade their cars, mm. add new features to this. So it is, I mean, you know, cars are becoming more and more computers on wheels. So we'll see more of this kind of tech approach to cars um, in the future, definitely. Yeah, because, um, you know, I suppose with phones, we see that, uh, you know, that the functionality of phones 
it improves with upgrades so I suppose if we're looking at it in a, from the car situation um, you can understand why car manufacturers will be thinking like that yeah and actually as I said just viewing cars more as a tech product and again something you pay for on a subscription rather than seeing them as something you know as an asset I mean they never were but people had this idea that you know, there was some value in owning a car I think we're moving away from that it'll be more towards the use mm. and towards that sort of subscription model across the board uh, Geraldine, BMW did announce this at a press conference. So, are we like, are they definitely going to go ahead with it? Do we know when it's going to happen? Oh yeah, I mean, you can currently avail of various different things. From um, I'm just looking at the website now. Front seat heating for twenty euros a month. Um, USB map updates for your sat nav, steering wheel heating. You know, so they're all extras. They're not. They're not things that are intrinsic to the driving experience of a BMW. They are extras, but they are there and they're all offered on a monthly subscription. Or okay. you can just install them. You know, for for good on your car if you want. Brilliant. Okay. Well, is this the future? We'll have to wait and see. Thank you very much, Geraldine Herbert, for joining us on the show this morning. Geraldine, of course, motoring editor with the Sunday Independent and WheelsForWomen.ie. Now, Human Collective is an award-winning sustainable Irish fashion brand whose ethos centres on equality and the promotion of social equality. They make a donation to three important Irish charities with the sale of their sweatshirts, and that is for LGBT Ireland, Sports Against Racism Ireland, and the Irish Youth Foundation and Paddy Smith who won the Channel 4 TV show The Circle in 2019 is head of Human Collective and he's been talking to PJ and um, uh, PJ of course is not here and I'm presenting the show now but here we go this was Paddy's conversation with PJ. So Paddy I'll start by asking you about the Human Collective. What is it? So we are Human Collective is we're on a mission to to basically like change people's perception, whether that be for racial equality, LGBT equality, opportunity equality, and um, we're 100 percent sustainable. Um, our our logo is the equal sign, you know, and um, so simple, but I think very effective. And uh, it's just to really try and create positive change in the world because you are what you wear. Yeah, tell me a bit about yourself. Who is Paddy Smith? Oh God! How long do you have? <laughs> I suppose I am a television personality slash disability activist. Right. Um, and I have I've appeared. I appeared on the Circle. I don't know if you know what that show is. Bring me up to speed. It was a game show, and you were the first. Were you the first person with a disability to ever win it? Yes, yes, I was. I was the first person with a disability to ever win it. Um, and this month in July is actually Disability Awareness Month which not many people are aware of. The Circle is kind of like the new big brother where you all are in a block of flats but you communicate through an app called Circle. And you can be whoever you want to be. So you could be a catfish, um, you can be yourself. And I decided to win it myself but I decided to hide my disability um, because I suppose it's what people see when they first look at me. And I wanted to see, you know, what, what the experience would like without having that disability and then kind of showcasing it when I wanted to showcase it. And somehow I won the show. (laughs) (laughs) Disability Awareness Month. We did talk about it last week on the show. My son is will be 25 in October and he has a disability and I've never been aware of Disability Awareness Month. Yeah, it is one of the less known. I think that is to do with the fact that people don't know how to approach disability. Um, You know, because there's so many factors to it. And... Unfortunately, PJ, the world isn't built 
for disabled people. It's built for able-bodied people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, getting the message out there that we deserve to have a life just like you, um, and, you know, and that, you know, anyone could end up disabled. It, it, like, you know, you could end up disabled tomorrow, and then you only start to realise how inaccessible um, the world can be in terms of restaurants, clubs, you know, anywhere you go to, you have to think about where you go, how you get there. Um, and I think it just needs a bit more light each time on it. Yours is a physical difference, isn't it, Paddy? It is. So I have cerebral palsy within my legs, which means in layman's terms, I walk a bit differently and the nerve endings from my head to my legs are slightly off. So I walk with the aid of glam sticks, as I call them. Glam sticks? Yeah. <laughs> That's your name for them, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, actually, who um, has a physical disability, said to me one time, look, PJ, a world that's designed for me Mm. is no problem for you to live in. But a world that's designed for you has a whole lot of problems for me. You identify with that? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, you know, I think that's very powerful. And and it's unfortunately the truth. Um, And a lot of people say, you know, the buildings have been around for so long. What can we do? But the reality is disabled people have been around longer. Yeah. You know, so why don't we deserve to have the opportunity and the experiences that you have? Um, and you will be able to live in our world. And I think that, you know, people are fearful of it because they don't know how to approach it is the real, I think is the real answer. And I think aware, awareness, um, you know, like you talking to me on this radio show, um, you know, um, activists out there like Sinead Burke, um, you know, hopefully we will hope move the needle on that and break down some some boundaries. I'm I'm reading a a series of books at the moment by a guy called Shane Dunphy and one of the characters in one series of his books is a lad with a disability. Really powerful character, you know? I know and I think that sometimes, and this is why I love being part of the We Are Human Collective movement because, you know, the ethos behind the brand is you're standing up for equality and obviously... I think the clothes are amazing. Um, it's all sustainable to be And, you know, we give back to three charities as well. So the LGBT Ireland, we give back to um, Sports Against Racism and um, the Youth Foundation. But why I love that is because, you know, if a disabled person, going back to your question about the character within the book, if a disabled person sees that, they can, they, then, 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 then they believe it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, if you if you can see that, you can believe it. So to be part of this band, to be kind of front facing for this band, it means that if I've, if a disabled child is looking on Instagram or a parent who has a disabled kid or a friend who has a disabled, or if you're disabled yourself, you, you like I can do that because I don't think that media portrays or gives us a lot of space to portray different types of disability and how we live life. It's just all very kind of. Um, in some ways victimised. And is is that why the Channel 4 programme, Paddy, was a big thing for you in that, you know, your disability didn't actually matter. You you, you won it because you were Paddy. Yeah, well, I did win it. I'm not going to lie. I did win it because I, I, I did, like, I, I did win it because I was Paddy, of course. Um, but I wanted to show that my disability could be a strength rather than a weakness. Gotcha. Do you know what I mean? So, um, because society looks at disability as a weakness, I wanted to showcase that it could be one of your biggest strengths as well so the reason why I did it was to do with my disability and to show a different side of what it means to be disabled Now come back to the clothing brand where can we see it and buy it it's all online I take it Yeah so it's all online um, 
it's at We Are Human Collective if you'd like to check it out. And um, we've just launched our Pride T-shirts where the equal sign is the rainbow. We've launched we've hoodies, we've shorts, we've T-shirts. Um, yeah, so if you'd like to come and come and see us, go ahead. All right, Paddy. Good to speak with you, and good luck with 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 all the events of the month. Thank you so much, PJ. I really, really appreciate it. Speaking of parades and celebrations, there's loads of free events happening in Cork. And Seamus Heaney of Pure Cork uh, joins me now to talk about what's going on in Cork this summer. Good morning, Seamus. Good. How are you? Can you hear me? I can yeah. hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. Um, Seamus, loads happening in Cork, but we'll start first of all with Elizabeth Fort. What's yeah. happening there? So I suppose our offices are based in Elizabeth Fort, and we're very fortunate to be um, to be have our offices based in in a vibrant tourist attraction. Mm. So that's one of the, the free attractions in Cork. Um, it's a 16th century fort. There's huge education there, and great views of the city. You can travel along the rampart. There's a little bit of fun in it, you know. So yeah. that's right in the heart of Cork City, and and sadly, not a lot of Cork people have seen it. I know, I was only there recently enough myself as well and um, as you said, there are amazing views and it was great stuff for the kids to do as well and yeah. it, it's really worth an afternoon's visit and as you say, right in the heart of the city centre but a lot of people probably haven't been there before. Yeah, it is, it's a base just for anybody that needs to know. It's based at the old um, Barrick Street Garda Station. That's where the Garda Station was back in the 80s but it's just almost be in the Barrick Street. And can you just go in or do you have to book it? No, no, you could just walk in. Okay, brilliant. And there are guided tours as well if anybody wanted it. And there's also the guided headsets, like, you know, so yeah. they're all available there. But, you know, you were asking me what is on there. So throughout many attractions within the city, you have the Playful Cultural Trail, which was started last year. And again, it was for kids um, where they get to see all the different attractions. And, you know, they're finding blind, the, the lizard... Um, but really, really good. A lot of participating attractions like Blackrock um, Castle Observatory, Nanonagel Place, mm. the old Cork Waterworks Experience, Shandon Bells, St. Fenbar, St. Peter's, Triscoll, uh, Elizabeth Fort, uh, the Crawford Art Gallery, the um, Cork City Jail, the Butter Museum, Blarney Castle, they're all involved in it, Blackrock Castle, they're right. all involved, yeah. So what is it that people can go at their own leisure and walk around and follow a map? Correct, yeah. There's a map and the kids are given a bag with crayons and all that. There's games um, inside each one of these attractions as well. That's a great, that's a great idea, actually. And it's yeah, getting it everything together yeah. then as well, all of the different attractions yeah. coming together. And um, is there, I know like that in the summertime, we always have lots of festivals, lots of family events happening in the city. Um, over the next couple of weeks now, like we have the bank holiday weekend coming up as well. Anything to look forward to? There is, like, I mean, like, Cork is known as the, the city of, or the destination, I suppose, of, of festivals, you know. Mm. So on purecork.ie, we've made a very comprehensive, everything you want to do, whether it's a festival, whether you want to do something underwater, outdoor activities, arts and culture, shopping, family fun. We even have itineraries on it as well, which you can do for one or two days. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing is, I suppose, we talk about the city, but, like, everything, like, you can base yourself in a city and then you're within an hour's drive or an hour and a half drive, you have some fantastic places to visit. I was in Mallow last week down at, uh, and I'm originally from Mallow, and um, there's, they've opened a new tourist office in the old spa well, mm. in the spa house. And again, like you're seeing the natural spring water from the spa that heats part of the swimming pool in Mallow. 
something fantastic. Yeah. And then from there to, to the um, the Castle Grounds in Mallow, uh, Cork County Council have done an amazing job there and fantastic walks. Um, the most amazing playground ever yeah. has gone in there. Um, so that's just that side of it alone. And then you can go to the biggest outdoor tourist attraction in Ireland with the biggest visitor numbers is Donnerail Park. Yeah, beautiful Donnerail Park. Yeah, so yeah, to go for a walk there, yeah. And then across the way you can go over and see Donnerail House, you know, the old house. Um, and the grounds there again are spectacular. And what about Barry's Court Castle, somebody is saying here? Barry's Court Castle, they're all fantastic attractions. Like, you know, so like you've everything, you know, whether it's East Cork or North Cork, West Cork, um, the city, you've everything, even Ansgrove Gardens down again, down in North Cork, done a fantastic job. Mm. I keep mentioning Nanonagle in the city. A lot of people, again, haven't seen that. That is an amazing um, set up inside there. Um, again, right in the heart of the city. Very reasonable to go into. So I, I would have sort of listed a lot of the, the free attractions, but yeah. some of these are so small, the entrance fee is just... Is, is just nominal like maybe four euros or two euros for kids Shandon Bells for example is only two euros for a child oh, going right. and they can go up and ring the bell and then they can climb up the stairs there was 104 steps up to the top yeah and again some spectacular views up there and that's actually something that I've never done. I have been up around Shandon, but I've never gone up to the Bells. And um, it's on my, my hit list of things to do in Cork, that and the city jail. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that I will get to both of those attractions this year. And as you say, when you have these events and you have these um, attractions on your doorstep, sometimes people go um, you know, to other places and they forget about what they have on their doorstep. Correct. Yeah. And you know what? It, it took a pandemic unfortunately it took a pandemic for us all to see what is actually in our doorstep and what's like somebody ringing about Barry's Court Castle mm. all of these amazing places that sometimes out of sight out of mind we all forget what about Gugan Barra for a picnic yeah. you know what about the Ardu the Ardu in the city is amazing the the, um, the art on, on the on the on all the buildings oh, yes, you can now yes. do an Ardu trail mm. again because the website ardu.ie is available but Everything you want to do in Cork is either available on purecork.ie or if you want to download the Cork County Council did a fantastic app last year as well called Explore Cork which covers the city and county and it can be easy downloaded on your phone and it tells you all the walks that are close by to tell you if you're staying in a hotel what's within 5 kilometre radius 10 kilometre radius um, and everything you want to do from mm. whether it's nightlife food experiences street art whether it's nature gardens, just simply touring around, or if you want to do something for the family, what's available. You mentioned there the pandemic, um, and, you know, I, I suppose, are you seeing now, um, you know, it, it's great that we have all of these um, attractions open again to the public and that we have different events happening around the city and that people can go and enjoy them. Are you seeing an increase in visitor numbers to Cork? Yeah, we are, like, Cork is very, like, I think last, June, July and August was just incredible. The, the, you know, I suppose the pent-up demand of Irish people just wanting to travel mm. and they gravitated towards Cork and we knew in Visit Cork that it was kind of who was going to be first out of the traps to try and promote the regions. Yeah. And we were very fortunate that Cork did really, really well um, in June, July and August. And everybody said cities are going to die. Yeah. And while the city occupancy in June when we got to go ahead to reopen was quite low, it was in its 20s, by July, that was up well up in its seventies. 
Wow, so it okay. was great. As we know, the hot, the, we call the honey spots, the West Corks, mm. you know, all of these were doing exceptionally well because people booked houses, whatever, you know, in, in the place like East Cork and West Cork were all very busy. But then the city picked up naturally mm. where people were able to base themselves and then travel within an hour, an hour and a half of that. This year, there's a pent-up demand for people to travel abroad. People had holidays booked and then they were parked and they were going to use those. I know many families going off to Greece, Spain, that had booked them in 2020 and never got the opportunity to go. Yeah. So naturally, they're gravitating towards that this year. But still... Cork is doing quite well on a domestic. So is, yeah, I was just going to ask you, is that dom- yeah. domestic market? So is that it doing is, well? Yeah. yeah, It is, it's doing well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you said there, you know, even if you wanted to get out of the city for a break, you can go down to West Cork, or you can go down to East Cork, up to North Cork. There's so many different Correct. options. And even if you didn't want to go anywhere and you wanted to just stay around the city, then, you know, as you were naming out there, there's loads and loads of free um, places where you can go, free, um, you know, activities. Um, yeah, and, and people yeah. just have to go on purecork.ie and find yeah, out those. Yeah, or they can download the Explore Cork app as well. Like, you know. Fabulous. And we have a yeah. bank holiday weekend coming up. Obviously, that's always uh, a busy time for places. Have we events happening in Cork for that? Like, again, they're all listed on, on the Pure Cork website. There is a lot of small events happening. Mm. And then there's a lot of individual businesses doing stuff again. And yeah. I suppose it's great to see the likes of the entertainment business kick-starting again, back into the pubs, back into the theatres. Um, and again, they're all listed. But the, the one great thing about Pure Cork is that everything is updated on a on a daily basis. So we're just making sure that everything is relevant to the time of the year it's on. Like you know, fantastic. And of course, there's, there's big concerts happening. You know, Westlife is happening in the mm-hmm. city very shortly, um, and it, they, they mean a lot to a place like Cork. Yeah. They do. They do indeed. They yeah. bring an awful lot of uh, visitors here to Cork. Seamus Heaney from Pure Cork, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning and for keeping us up to date on everything that's happening. It is a great website and for anybody, particularly those of you with kids and you're looking for something to do over the summer, you can go on to purecork.ie and see all of the different attractions that we have here on our doorstep that are free or maybe have a small fee and you can go and visit them and spend a couple of hours there and pass away the time with your family and I think that's it for today thanks again to the team here Fergal Barry and Richard Vickery and Wayne Hilton I will be back with you tomorrow enjoy the day it seems to be brightening up we think the rain is gone so hopefully we can all get out and enjoy a little bit of sun today talk to you tomorrow